Well, would you turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 4 as we continue in our series in the book of Daniel. One thing that we are going to see and we're going to be confronted with in this passage is the sin of pride. Now, we should be thankful because in our culture, our culture that we live in still considers pride to be a bad thing. Now, our culture has turned a lot of sins up on their head, and they consider a lot of things sin that were, or they consider a lot of things uh, good that the Bible is very clear are sin, but we should be thankful that pride is still considered a sin by our culture. In fact, one commentator says this about this passage, but he says, pride is still generally reckoned deservedly to go before a fall. In fact, even people who would not regard themselves as religious find pride offensive. Yet at the same time, few people actually recognize the sin of pride within themselves. We may see it readily enough in others, but it often deceptively slides undetected in our own hearts. In God's grace and mercy to us, however, he sometimes uses life's difficult experiences to remove the blinders from our eyes and show us what our hearts really contain. He exposes and confounds our pride in order to transform us from the inside out. My prayer for us this morning is that we would be convicted if we have pride in our hearts, that as we listen to this passage this morning, that God would reveal any pride that we have, and he would lead us in repentance from it. So would you uh, read along with me as I read Daniel 4 in its entirety? King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that most high God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. 
The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let them be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not my, the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots in the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory 
of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned from, to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father God, would you, would you be with us this morning? Would your spirit be here in this room with us? Father, would you open up our hearts through the word? Would you open up our hearts and would you expose to us any pride that we have? And Father, I pray that you would lead us in repentance and that you would lead us to acknowledge that you are the most high God. You are the king and ruler of the earth. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would speak through me as I preach and bring your word. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, whenever we come to a passage of scripture, we always should ask the question, why did God include this? What did God want to teach Nebuchadnezzar? What did God want to teach the Hebrews who received this book? And what does God, because of that, want to teach me today? This is one of those passages that actually makes it really, really easy for us because it just comes out and says it. If you look at verse 17, in the, at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, account of his dream, the, the divine being that comes down says that, that the reason all of this is going to happen is for the purpose to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That's the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar needed to learn. That's the lesson that the Hebrews who would have read this book needed to learn. And that is the lesson that we need to learn today. If we were gonna put it in our own words, we would say that we are all to know and acknowledge and glorify the God who rules completely over this world, 
completely over us and gives us everything that we have and puts us where we are. We are to know and acknowledge that God rules completely over this world and completely over us and our lives. And we're going to see this point as we look at the text. And if we break it down, we're going to see how each of this points back to that in three different sections. The first thing that we're going to see in verses 1 through 3 is the testimony of the king. Next, we're going to look at the God who opposes the proud. I borrowed a little bit from our text that we read this morning, so our points are going to look a little bit more like James. Uh, but it's what we're going to see in this text. So the God who opposes the proud, that's going to be the bulk of the, the text this morning in 4 through 33. And then lastly, we're going to see the God who gives grace to the humble in verses 34 through 37. First, let's look at verses 1 through 3, the testimony of the king. At the beginning, this is King Nebuchadnezzar talking. This is a little bit strange uh, when it comes to passages in Scripture. This is not... Daniel that's talking. This isn't a prophet. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the king who has had an experience and he records and wants it written and recorded for other people to hear. Now, Daniel may have helped him record this, but it is unique in that this is a king who is a pagan. We're going to put air quotes and we'll see why in just a second. But this is a pagan king who has something that he wants to tell the world and is recorded for us in scripture. Now, as we look at it, what we're going to see is the reason why Nebuchadnezzar is telling us the story, the reason why he wants us to see this is because he has had a radical encounter with the living God, and it's something that he cannot keep to himself. Now, you may think that sounds an awful lot like somebody who has had a saving encounter with the one true God. And if you, as I studied this week, I, I looked at that because this passage just fascinated me that this, this king would have such an encounter with God. Nebuchadnezzar was not a good guy. If we look at biblical history, this is the guy who, he took Daniel from his home. He's the guy who destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple. And yet, it seems like he's had a, an amazing encounter with God. And some people, as you look at this, they'll say, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar had a really good encounter with God, but he'd had those before in Daniel. And, and honestly, it just looks like he's having one more experience where he, he gets humbled by God, but then he probably would just go back and do the same things again. That's about what half of people, half of scholars think when they look at this passage. The other half, they look at this passage and they see a guy who, if you look at the previous passages in Daniel, anytime he has an encounter with God, he, he talks about God as if, you know, God is the God of Daniel. Or at the end of chapter three that we just looked at last week, it says that uh, in verse 28 of chapter three, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet in chapter four, look at verse two. It says, it has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that most high God has done for me. We're no longer talking about something that has happened to others. We're talking about something that has happened in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. 
And so as we look at this, as scholars look at this, they see him going from the God of someone else to what God has done for me, as they see him say things that should remind us of the rest of Old Testament scripture where he says, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And if you look at the end of the chapter where it says in verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble to many, and I will say to me as I look at this text, I don't know Nebuchadnezzar's heart, but he's showing me a lot of evidence here of somebody who has had a radical and salvation encounter with the living God. Now, whether or not that is the case or not, here's what we need to see. Nebuchadnezzar has had an encounter with God, and he's excited about it, and he wants to tell everybody else about it. Shouldn't that be a lesson for us? Because for us, we, if we are a believer in Jesus Christ, we believe that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead, and yet God had an encounter with us where he presented to us Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior, and we went from being in the kingdom of darkness to being dead, to being made alive and part of God's kingdom. That is a radical thing that has happened in our lives if we are believers and followers of Jesus. And ought we not, like King Nebuchadnezzar, want to tell people about it? So whether or not King Nebuchadnezzar really did have a salvation experience or not, the lesson for us is if we are saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that should be something that we are going out and proclaiming to the world. Essentially, that is what this is. This is, this is simply a king, a man who has had this encounter and he wants to tell people about it. And so after he introduces us to what's going on, he takes us back in time to why, why something has changed in him, why something is different. And he tells us the story. And he tells us the story of the God who opposes the proud. Nebuchadnezzar tells us that he's in his, he's in his palace, he's hanging out, he's having a good time, and all of a sudden he has another dream and it disturbs him. And just like the last time he had a dream, he, he brings all the magicians and the enchanters, the Chaldeans, he brings in everybody who he thinks is an expert and says, hey, tell me the dream. Now, he's a little bit easier on this time. He actually tells them what it is and asks them to give the, him the interpretation. And they either can't or they won't. Either way, they don't tell him the interpretation. So he's, he's out of luck until Daniel comes in and Daniel makes known to him the interpretation and it's not a good one. Because Daniel, as he hears this dream about a great tree, a great tree that's known throughout the whole earth and is, is powerful in his majesty and provides for the people and the, and the creatures of the earth, and he hears the story about the tree being cut down, Daniel is dismayed. He's alarmed. And he says, King, this, this is you. This is you. You are this tree. You are this great king. You have become mighty, and yet you are going to have all that taken away from you. And we find the reason why in verse 30. Because at the end of all of this, at the end of hearing the dream and its interpretation, we get a little picture of the king's heart. 
when he's in Babylon, he's standing on his palace and he looks out and he says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? See, Nebuchadnezzar is looking at all the different things and and let's be honest, they were impressive. Just if he's looking out from his palace in Babylon, he would see the hanging gardens of Babylon considered one of the wonders of the world, a man-made mountain that had gardens on it and had this crazy system of water that would get water all the way to the top and down to the rest of it. He would see the wall of Babylon, a wall around the city that was so big and so wide that a chariot could drive across the top of it. He wasn't wrong in seeing the greatness around him. What he was wrong in is thinking that it was all for him and all for his glory and that it was because of him that all that was there. He was proud, and he did not acknowledge that that was all given to him by God. So the warning for Nebuchadnezzar was that God opposes those who are proud. And that warning is also for us. You know, none of us, as far as I know, have a great and massive kingdom that we're in charge of. None of us have... Uh, made sure that we've built grand and great cities. However, each of us do have little kingdoms of our own, don't we? Don't each and every one of us have, have places to live? Don't we look and can we look around and is it possible for us to look at our lives and say, man, look at this great house that I saved up for and I, I put together, I, I renovated, maybe even I built with my own two hands Look at what I've done. Look at my great job that I've had. Look at, look at all the money that I've made. Look how much I've climbed the corporate ladder. Or maybe, maybe even we're a little bit more spiritual than that. Maybe we look at ourselves, maybe a little bit like the Pharisees did and say, man, look how righteous I am. Look how much I haven't sinned today. You see all the people in the world, look at, look at what they're doing and look at what I'm not doing. Maybe we can even look at us ourselves as believers and say, man, look at how far I'm coming in repentance from, from this sin. Look at how much effort I've put into to getting rid of this in my life. We have our own kingdoms and we need to recognize and realize that God is in charge and God is in control of all of them. And the warning for Nebuchadnezzar and for us continues Choose not to acknowledge God and his authority. Choose not to acknowledge God's sovereign control of your life at your own peril. Nebuchadnezzar ignored God's warning. He ignored God's judgment from this dream. Even though Daniel tried, he said, therefore, O king, let my counsel be accepted, but break off your sins. He's saying, repent, Repent, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he ignored it, and we ignore it at our own peril. You see, God was merciful in even giving Nebuchadnezzar a warning. He was even merciful, and even as his judgment comes upon Nebuchadnezzar, even as Nebuchadnezzar is driven away from men, he still has the opportunity to repent. But 
we need to remember, Nebuchadnezzar needed to remember that even though God's judgment on him was delayed, God's patience will run out at some point. Next week, we're going to learn the story of the, one of the kings that followed Nebuchadnezzar, a king named Belshazzar. And God confronted Belshazzar and his sin. Belshazzar didn't get 12 months. Belshazzar didn't get 12 hours. He was confronted in his sin, and his life was gone by that evening. And he had to stand before a holy God that very evening. God is patient, but he opposes the proud, and his patience will run out one day. 2 Peter 3, 8-9 through says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter, when he's saying that, says it completely in the context of what he's just told them, that that at some point in the future, Jesus is coming back and the world will be judged in fire. God is patient. He was patient with Nebuchadnezzar, but his patience would run out. Nebuchadnezzar ignored it at his own peril, and we ignore God's calling us to repent at our own peril. Nebuchadnezzar ignored it, and he was humiliated. After his statement on the top of his palace, the voice comes down from heaven, and Nebuchadnezzar has his kingdom taken away from him, and he's driven away from men. Not only does he lose his position, his power, and authority, but he even loses his humanity. Now, if you were to look at this, there's there's actually a medical condition where, where people actually do. This really does happen, that... Uh, that people do have this uh, thing that's called lycanthropy where they stop thinking they're human and they start thinking they're an animal. But at the end of the day, whether it's that or not, this is God's judgment on him. This is God fulfilling what he declared in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that would come to pass, and it did. Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated and he was humbled by God. Thank goodness that our last point today is that God gives grace to the humble. Even as Nebuchadnezzar was driven away from men, in verse 34 it says, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar was brought to the absolute end of his rope where he had nothing left. He didn't even have his humanity left. He was living like an animal out in the wild completely and exposed like, a, like an ox or like a cow, not like a human being at all. And yet God used that to draw Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. And sometimes that's exactly what God can do to us. One commentator says, this is an important point for us to recognize in our own experience. Discontent and disaster, or at least the profound personal discomfort, are very often the necessary precursors of spiritual growth and change. As long as we are comfortable and at ease in this world, we are normally not 
ready to examine our hearts and institute deep changes. It is often when our career hopes are dashed, our marriage relationship in shreds, or the doctor announces that we only have a few more months to live, that we are finally persuaded to become serious about spiritual things. God used putting Nebuchadnezzar at the end of his rope to draw him to repentance, and God can do the very same thing and often does do the same thing with us. We can think of of a similar situation with the Apostle Paul, who, before he became the Apostle Paul, was Saul, was a Pharisee, and was going out and raging against the church and raging against believers. And it took Jesus having a personal encounter with him and bringing him to his knees to where he was blind. And the same man who was raging against Christians had to be led by the hand to the city that he was outside of. And yet God used that to turn the Apostle Paul into a mighty Christian man. For us, we need two things. Number one, we need to be warned and we need to not let it get to this point. Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar an encouragement. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, repent before this happens to you. And to us, it's the same. If we are living lives of of pride, if we are hiding pride in our hearts, let's not get to the point where God has to bring us to our absolute knees before we repent and come to him. Let's not get to that point. Let's repent instead. Let's humble ourselves before he humbles us. I heard a story of a believer who had gotten into a sinful behavior that was actually illegal. And he continued in that sin until eventually he was arrested for it. That arrest led to his repentance, but something he said afterwards that has stuck with me, he said, let Jesus arrest you before the police do. Humble yourself before God humbles you. Come before the Lord knowing that you are a sinner and that you have pride in your heart and cry out to him, lift up your eyes to him, look to the only one who can cleanse you of your sin and make you holy and righteous and that is Jesus and Jesus alone. But if we get to the point where God is humbling us, if we are in a situation where our life has fallen apart, we need to realize that God may in fact be using that to draw us closer to himself. When our life is falling apart and we have nothing else, like King Nebuchadnezzar had nothing else to look to in pride, he looks to heaven, he looks to the one and true God For us, if our life is falling apart, it may be extremely difficult for us, but may we at least think and know that God may be using that to bring us to himself. And we need to to actually be thankful if God is using that. Can we imagine what the worst thing for Nebuchadnezzar would have been? The worst thing for Nebuchadnezzar would have been God didn't even bother him. If God just left him in his comfort, 
If God just, even after the dream, decided, no, I'm just going to let Nebuchadnezzar slide on this one. Nebuchadnezzar would have never been brought to the point where he could say, I praise and extol the king of heaven. So even though it may be hard for us when we are at our absolute lowest, let's, let's be thankful when God uses that to bring us to know him when he uses that to bring us to the foot of the cross, when we have nothing else left except to cry out to Jesus to save us. God gave grace to Nebuchadnezzar in his humility. We need to know that you and I cannot stand before a holy God with anything of our own. If we think for a second that we can come before God and impress him with anything of ourselves, with our bank account, with our own personal holiness, then we have to stop it. We bring nothing to the table except our sins and transgressions. We bring nothing but our filthy rags to the table. We stand before a holy God and every bit of our pride is stripped away and we are revealed as the sinners and rebels that we are. Transgressors, full of iniquities. But thankfully, there is one who did bear those. There is one who was bruised for our iniquities, who's crushed for our sins, and in his wounds we are healed. We can't impress the holy king of kings with our little accomplishments. Jesus perfectly obeyed. Jesus perfectly obeyed his holy father and went to the cross and died to be the perfect substitute for our sins. We need to repent of thinking that we are in control, that thinking that we are good enough, and we need to throw ourselves at the foot of cross. Just as Nebuchadnezzar looked to heaven and was restored and changed, we need to look to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said that he was converted and saved from a preacher simply telling him, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Will we look to Jesus this morning? Will we repent of our pride? Will we repent of anything we believe we have? Will we acknowledge that God is the king and the, the one who rules and reigns and that our only hope before him is to have someone else pay the penalty of our sin for us? Will we humble ourselves before our Savior who emptied himself to death and rose again? Will we look to Jesus this morning? Let's pray.